welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. This weekend has been filled with flipped, but it's also on Friday, Thursday and Friday was preparation and handing out of backpacks for society. It has been an action-packed weekend, to say the least. Um, And when we go through these weekends, like I said, the kids have been staying here over the weekend. We know when we come back in on Sunday morning, there's going to be a few things that are a little off. Things, the high school, we have an amazing group of high school kids who come and spend Thursday through Sunday just helping. Um, They set up things, they tear down things, they clean up things, and they do a fantastic job. But things end up in little different places. This morning, a couple of our carafes for coffee had migrated to the gym kitchen, so we needed to bring them back. But there was also another migration. This. (laughs) We have a picture. It was on the organ this morning. (laughs) We're not exactly sure why, but I did do a little investigating and find out that it was used as a doorstop when they needed to run an electrical cord outside. So it actually came from, um, this is a nod to uh, where I have been in the church. This was actually, for some reason, about seven years ago, the confirmation kids make this their mascot. And so it has lived in the confirmation room for about seven years. Her name is Felicia. Um, But it was just an amazing, wonderful thing to see this morning. But it's just a wonderful way to, like, kind of a wink from God, I feel like, of just the beautiful things that have happened this weekend and the beautiful ways that um, so many people have gathered and worked and served and loved and shared God's love in amazing, amazing ways this weekend. And so as we enter this time, as we are beginning school again, I'm struggling with that a little bit. Um, It's a little too early for me to be thinking about this yet. Um, And we as a church staff, like I said, it was just this whole weekend was so busy, and we've had so many things. We have prayer cards this morning. We have a a luncheon for ushers. We just have a lot going on today. And as we're re-entering this season and school is about to start again, it's a time when that busyness starts to take over when we start to default to those patterns. And we've been out of our regular rhythms. We've been out of our regular patterns for a long time. But as we start things back up, we as a staff have tried to also be really intentional in how we schedule things, look at things, approach things. Because otherwise that busyness in our calendar begins to dictate and it takes over. And it begins to dictate our path And so with this new series, what we're going to be looking at this week and next week is how are we aligning, how are we resetting our heart to align with God? When we look in Scripture, at the book of, um, in in Scripture, and I just realized I don't have my Bible. Can you hand me that? (laughs) Thank you. You don't have it memorized? No, I don't. Well, I mean, just the New Testament. I haven't memorized the Old Testament yet. (laughs) work on that next week. (laughs) We're going to talk about the heart, and so it's important to understand when we're reading scripture what, um, how the ancient Hebrews understood heart. When they're using that word, they're using it a little bit differently. We tend to go into our very modern approach, and we think of it as um, um, this organ that pumps, and we do associate it with love and our feelings and our emotions, 
But for the, for the ancient Hebrews, for the Jewish people, it was much, much more than that. They did not have a distinction between the heart and the brain. Um, it was through their heart that they knew and they understood the world. It's how they made sense of the world, and it's where wisdom resides. They think and they feel with their heart. It's the center of their existence. It's the center of who they are. And we can kind of see that a little bit even in our vocabulary and usage today. We talk about someone in a sport that they played with heart. Um, We can set our heart on something. Um, The heart of a city is the, the, the heartbeat, the middle, the center of that city. It's how it defines itself. We tell someone to take heart when they're going through a difficult time. And so if we're going to talk about resetting our heart, we're not just talking about resetting our emotions, but about resetting how we think and how we feel and how we experience our wisdom, what, what, what God has revealed to us. And we're talking about resetting all of that through our heart. And so this week, as we continue to look at that and continue to look at how we redirect our heart, it's not just about redirecting our feelings, but about redirecting everything about us. When our heart and our head lose that distinction, what does that mean for how we reset our lives? This means our entire being, all of us, is directed towards a loving God. If you'll stand with me now, we're going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forearms. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This particular passage is called the Shema. And it is a prayer, and that's the name of the prayer. Jewish people pray this prayer in the morning and in the evenings. They pray it twice a day. Shema is the first word of this prayer, and it's listen. It's Hebrew for listen. And just like that word heart means something a little bit more than what we associate it with in Hebrew, so does Shema, so does listen. For the ancient Hebrews, listen did not just mean to hear something, to let it bounce off of your eardrum. It meant to hear it, to pay attention to it, and to obey it. It was a combination of all those things. There was no separate word for obey. It was assumed that if you shemad, if you listened to the word of God, you were going to obey. Shema and keeping of the covenants were synonymous with each other, and it meant to surrender our hearts, and it means to hear the word of God, to listen, to heed, and to obey. And through that, 
that our habits and our daily routines would be changed. It changes everything when we listen, when we shema. When we look at the scripture here, notice that it refers, it calls us to, to listen and to love God, and then it goes on to list all these different activities and different things to do. When we come to worship, we come to worship, we enter into God's presence, we hear his word proclaimed, and then we are called to respond, to obey, to walk out from here and to live our faith out in everything that we say and do. When we hear the message and we hear the word proclaimed, when we hear about God's tremendous grace and love that he has shown for us, it's assumed that once we've heard that, that there's going to be a response, that we are going to have this new understanding of who God is, and through that, that our lives, that our hearts, that everything will be changed, and from there, we will respond, and we will go out, and we will share that with others. When we encounter the creator of the universe, it stands to reason there's going to be a response in our hearts, a response with our whole being. But it begins with allowing God to have access to our hearts. It's God who has to create that new heart in us. We were created in God's image, and sin entered the picture, and it is through God that our hearts are recreated, that they are aligned with him, that they are reset by him. It is how we are restored, it is how we are redeemed, and we are done that so that we can reflect God's love again and be in his presence with him. Psalm 51, I'm not going to read all of it, but we're going to go through a couple of the verses. And in particular, keep in mind that this is when Nathan the prophet came to David after he had, had um, committed adultery with Bathsheba. So this is during that time frame, and this is what's on David's heart. And so as we look through that Psalm 51, and we're keeping that in mind, we're going to kind of go through David's journey of how he recognizes his sin and then what he does with that. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 3. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always with me. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. for redemption. He knows he has messed up big time, and that it is only through God that he will be redeemed. And as we continue through this, this passage, through this chapter, through this prayer that he wrote, we go to verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. It's up to God 
to cleanse him. He's realizing there is nothing I can do to fix this. There is nothing I can do to make this right. There is nothing that I can do to make myself worthy in God's sight again. It is strictly through God's grace and love and compassion that I will be forgiven, that I will be cleansed. As we continue through in uh, verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Who's doing the creating? God is. Because God created something new, and he's constantly renewing our hearts, and he's constantly creating new life within us. And keep in mind, like I said, it's not just your heart, it's not just your emotions that are being healed. It's all of you that's being healed. It's all of you that's being recreated, being realigned, being reset with God. As we continue through verses 12 and 13, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn their back on you. So now that David's heart has been cleansed, now that it has been recreated, his joy is there. And now this joy is bubbling out in a way, and the way he wants to share it is by sharing it with other people, with the other sinners, so that they too can know that good news. It all comes because David surrendered his heart, because he opened it up, laid it bare in front of God, and said, this is my sin. Take it. I can't do anything with it. I need you to cleanse me. I need you to recreate. And I need you to be the source of my joy. As we continue to do that, and we give God access to the rooms in our hearts, um, one of the ways I've kind of been thinking about this is just um, that we can have these compartments in our heart and through our confession, through our surrender, we tend to, tend to invite God into those. And granted, God wants our entire heart, and sometimes that's really hard to do. But I think through, through the process of God's grace, and because it grows, and we keep hearing his message, and we keep responding, and each time we respond, we're able to open up one of those other doors to our heart, to one of those rooms that we didn't think God was ready to see or willing to see or wanted to see but all along he's just been waiting for us to open it up he's just been waiting for us to confess to bring that to him to surrender that to him when we open those doors it's because we have shamad because we have listened to god because we're responding to him because we're hearing what he's calling us to and that is how we are aligned with God. Confession or surrender is a distinguishing mark of, of Christian believers. It's something that we're called to do. It's something that helps us to grow in his grace. It's how we acknowledge who we are and just how desperately we need God as our Savior. It's a quote from Tim Keller that says, We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. More sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the same time, 
We are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Than we ever dared to hope. More than we can ever even begin to understand it. We are more loved and accepted and forgiven. And God is just waiting for us to open up our heart, to open up those doors to him, to let him cleanse and renew and recreate us in the image that he originally created us in so that we are able to be in fellowship with him, so that we're able to be in his presence, so that we are able to experience that joy of salvation and share it with everyone around us. Today is communion. We even had a baptism as well. And through those, we have liturgies. We have responses that we say. We have words that we say. We have passages that we read together as a community and say them out loud. And those liturgies are so important. Liturgy means work of the people. It is what we're doing this morning while we are in in here in church. We're doing work. We're worshiping. We are coming to God with our whole selves. And so when we say those things, the purpose of them is to shape our hearts and to rewrite what the world has written on them. There's an entirely different message that we get all week long when we're out in the world, through media, through um, everything that the world tells us should be our priorities and our, our schedule and all of those things. But our liturgies stop. And we pause. And we listen. And we respond. And through that, our hearts are transformed. They're realigned. That's the purpose of those liturgies is to help to do that. And um, there are several different uh, communion liturgies, and there's one in particular that starts with a prayer that says, sorry, I thought I had it marked, and I had it on the wrong page. It says this. This is the opening prayer for, uh, on page 6 for a, a particular communion liturgy. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. We go through our communion liturgy, and then from there we say the creed. And through the creed, when we're proclaiming that creed, we are recognizing who God is and what he has done for us on the cross and continues to do through the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives every single day. And once you've proclaimed that, once you've realized that, once you have acknowledged, once you have listened, once you have shamad of what God has done in our lives, then our response is confession. So the next part of the communion liturgy is our prayer of confession. And it says, merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's that joyful 
obedience again, that joyful salvation, that word joy keeps coming back over and over again. Verse 12, when we read the Shema, I'm going to go back and, and pull it up here and take a look at it. Um, as we read that, and I lost my place again. Um, as we read the Shema, notice at the beginning when it talks about um, having the ability to listen and we're calling, calling ourselves into God's presence. But after that, after we're told to listen... And then we're told who God is, and then to love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then we're given things to do. We are to impress them on our children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them to your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Our response is to fill ourselves with new liturgies. Liturgies that take us from inside the church to liturgies that shape our hearts and rewrite what the world has done on our lives every single day. And so that we're creating liturgies, we're creating liturgies that we take home with us, that we take outside of here when we walk out of here. Verse 12 goes on to talk about being restored to the joy of our salvation and in, uh, in the Psalms, in Psalm 51, and then verse 13, and then I will teach the transgressors your ways. We're called to love our neighbors. Through that prayer of confession, we acknowledge when we haven't done that, and we're called to reset our hearts. We're called to change our liturgies, to change them and open them up to God, and all of that is only possible through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we prepare our hearts to receive communion, we can say those words. For some of us, we've been saying them for a long time. If you grew up in the Methodist church or grew up in a similar faith background, you've been reciting those words or pretty similar words for most of your life. And they be can become rote. They can become empty. But remember what Shema means? To listen, to heed, and to obey. And so today, as we are about to prepare um, to receive communion, I want you to think about those words, that our liturgy and our sacraments can become just a theological exercise. We can have fabulous theological discussion about them, but that is not what God wants. God wants them to reshape our hearts. That is the work of the people. That's our liturgy. It's what we do in worship. It's the practices that we embody on a daily basis. It's how we put our faith into action with our entire being through our hearts. And remember in Deuteronomy, it says, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Those are the physical ways that I talked about in the Shema when we go out, when we teach our children, when we walk with them, when we have those physical reminders on us, our foreheads, our door frames, all those things they're ways that we take the commandments to our heart. And communion is a physical means of grace. It's how we take grace to our hearts. And through it, everything that we say and everything that we do is transformed by that grace.
So as we start to prepare our hearts and enter into this time, remember that it's through that confession and forgiveness that we can pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are going to sit at the table with our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to encounter him and his grace and his love up close and personal through communion. What an amazing, joyful thing we're about to encounter. And through that, our hearts are reset because we listen and we obey. But we realize our dependence on God That grace comes straight through him, through his son's death on the cross. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are freed for joyful obedience. And then we can love God with our whole heart because our hearts are aligned, because our hearts are reset to God, because the liturgies of God are written on our hearts not the liturgies of our calendars, not the liturgies of the demands of our schedule and our busyness, not the liturgies of the media, but the liturgy of God. And as we confess, as we open our hearts and experience that, we're able to accept and experience that joyful obedience. (laughs) 